This is Robert Mardlachi, the Mindshare Learning Report, Canada's Learning and Technology e-magazine. And welcome to This Week in Canadian EdTech, Mindshare TV. I'm honored to have a very special guest this morning with us, Dr. Michael Fullen, on his new book, Spirit Work, Centers Love and Care for Students, Staff, and Communities as the impetus for creating a positive culture while collaboration is the vehicle for manifesting this that spirit of work. Thank you for joining me uh, this morning, Dr. Fullen. It's great to be back with you, Robert. I look yeah, forward to it. It has been a while. We uh, I recall chatting and having you on our virtual uh, summit uh, a year or so ago. Uh, a little bit about Dr. Fullen. He's a recipient of the Order of Canada, who, who is a worldwide authority on educational reform with a mandate for helping achieve the moral purpose of children learning, a former dean of the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education, the University of Toronto, Michael advises policymakers and local leaders around the world to provide leadership in education. He is a best-selling author of numerous books, including the most recent one, The Spirit of Work. What inspired this latest book? You are prolific and an inspiration as I'm writing my book, uh, The Art of Networking in the Digital Age, that should be completed uh, in 2023. Well, things are, I, f I have a feeling we're going to be talking quite a bit in the next 24 months, Robert. Uh, uh, things Absolutely. are heating up and uh, the way that um, I come to opportunities, uh, it looks like they're self-generated because I'm coming out, I'm the lead author. But quite often in the case of the spirit work, uh, somebody that I know well, I've been working with comes to me and say, I'm noticing certain things and we have to talk about this. Uh, can you take a look at it and see what we want to do? So that was the case uh, here. Uh, Mark Edwards, who I think you know, was a former yes. superintendent of uh, Mooresville in Northeast uh, uh, US. And he was also superintendent of the year for the entire, I don't know, 17,000 fold uh, superintendents in, um, in the US uh, two or three uh, years ago. So Mark is a great guy. In fact, I did a book with him earlier on Mooresville. Uh, so he came along, I guess it was a year and a half ago, and said, I'm noticing some uh, school districts that are really, um, they're really doing something, even though the odds are against them. They're fantastic. They're, they're large, small, medium, uh, and uh, I can name them. And he, he said, we th I think there's some story here because this stuff is against the odds and it's real and it's deep and it's wide. And uh, so I said, let's take a look at it. And we, he had uh, several districts. We ended up with seven districts. It was a focus on the U.S. It was the uh, uh, Administrative Association and Mark, who's a big member there. So it was U.S. focused, but there was right. action there. And I'm always glad to go where there's action because it's the bottom-up story I want to capture. Fascinating. And speaking of the human spirit has so much untapped potential in our ingenuity as people has demonstrated our ability to innovate. However, in education, generally speaking, we seem resistant to change in many ways. Um, just like uh, the current situation, the labor strife in Ontario, which we'll touch on later, positive uh, results so far that uh, they're still in school. But uh, has the pandemic crisis become a catalyst for this in your mind to, to sustain change? Well, it turns out, <clears throat> yes, uh, the word, I hadn't used the word uh, spirit work, that concept before, 
uh, in our work was moral purpose, raise the bar, close the gap. And when Mark and I started to talk about it, uh, he said, there's something going on here that has to do, has to do with uh, loving students, uh, deep care, uh, the human condition. Uh, and it's more than moral purpose, he said. It's more profound than that. And uh, so I started to look at it and I saw our current work, although we didn't use the word uh, uh, spirit work. And we, I was somewhat hesitant because I didn't know how it would go. These seven districts, the superintendents were not using that term, that word, that concept. And when we suggested that spirit work, we said, this is kind of what we think you're doing. In a nanosecond, all seven of them independently said, that's exactly what it is. It, it, you know, it, it boosts me just even to hear the word because we love these kids. But to say you love kids, it doesn't have the kind of deep spiritual phenomenon right. that really we're facing and up against. So we ran with it. And uh, it's, a, it's a great new concept. It's in all my new work. It's the impact of this deeper sense of humanity with strategies to do something about it. And will this ultimately lead to more personalization of learning, which we've talked about for many decades and, uh, and deeper learning as, as uh, another book that you've written uh, to use your jargon? Yeah, it, it, it does lead to that because uh, in our newest work as we, part of the, of the spirit work is the, uh, I'll say the collectivity so this isn't individual people going about their spirit work. It includes that. But it also is uh, the way in which uh, students want to work with other people. And so the collaboration part was an essential part of this definition. And people do want to team up and work together. They do want to make an impact on their own lives. But mostly now we see students, for example, they want to make an impact on other people with other people. They, the world needs them, they know. And so that just blossomed out into that, just just in a flash, really. Well, it, it's not unlike uh, the trend around the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, and you know, that factor in the environment, and you know, uh, communication, collaboration, uh, you know, dealing with some of the most pressing issues that we face uh, around the globe. You know, the, to your point, it's real purposeful learning that helps them make an impact and we're seeing that with so many startups in in education that, that are emerging it's not like as baby boomers we were looking for a job back in the day now it's purposeful to your point it is that exactly that and those uh, that's been brewing for the, the the sustainability goals have been brewing for probably a decade and uh, it they really weren't catching on they were people will acknowledge them yes we should do something about them but they have to catch on at the individual spiritual level, the student, the teacher, the community. If they don't get taken up there, they have no basis. And so uh, so this, this is the difference between three years ago and now or five years ago and now is these are concrete actions that students and teachers in community and ourselves in our deep learning gravitate, gravitate to really quickly and it's grounded how to make it present on a big basis. We can talk about that, but we are going from the isolated example that was here and there for the last decade to the system engaged in doing that. And I think there's a real chance in the next three years, five years, that we will have system presence. That is whole systems doing this. And, and, and we're starting to see that. 
and you've got a great example in where we're going to co-host our conference next year and honored to have you speaking at it in Ottawa Catholic uh, in the nation's capital. They've been on this journey for a number of years. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. And they, uh, we teamed up with them, I think in 2014, 2015, uh, that, um, that they were already a good district in the province of Ontario in terms of literacy, numeracy, uh, high school graduation, all of that. Uh, but they had a special interest in saying, this isn't good enough yet. We've got to go more. And we had our deep learning framework that we developed with school systems in about 10 different countries uh, where we had uh, a new purpose for education that's compatible with spirit work. We had the six C's, the global competencies. We had the pedagogies to uh, implement them. We had the linkage uh, to, uh, to development outside the school. So we had all of that. And what they did was they said, this is the route and we're going to like good change agents. We're not going to hold us bolus, say all 83 schools are doing it next month. Uh, so they started with seven schools in year one. They added eight schools more in year two. That's only 12 months later. That's 15. Then they went to all 83. And uh, this was 2016, 2017. And then they just kept going. And we have been working with them. And they have become stronger during the pandemic in this work. We can talk about why that is the case. But they are a very good example of system-wide built-in continuous improvement to go deeper and deeper. And almost anybody that you could tap on the shoulder in Ottawa Catholic, a student, a teacher, a parent, can tell you that that, that that is happening. Fascinating times. And, you know, getting beyond those pockets of innovation, you talk about innovation in the book, and that the definition of innovation people misconstrue is being uh, tech-focused. It's not necessarily tech-focused. It's it's taking a concept and, and making an improvement on it, making it better, if you will. Um, however, you know, if I could just uh, uh, share a, a colleague from your um, your past university days at U of T, where you attended and were dean, uh, Dr. Steve Jordan, the U of T psychologist, who has his own ed tech startup around assessment uh, talked about the threat of the great snapback during COVID with the mass innovation that occurred with the threat of teachers wanting to revert back to the path of least resistance. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What are you seeing? Uh, I want to, Robert, step back for a moment to put it in perspective sure. uh, and really quite grounded, but then I'm going to directly answer your question. Sure. Uh, there's a famous uh, study, uh, a book uh, by uh, uh, Godin and, uh, and Katz, I think are their names. And they had a book, uh, 20, 2008 called the race between technology and education. And they focused on us data. And what they showed was from after the war, the second world war, 1948 or so to 1978 education outstripped technology. That is more people are graduating. They're getting jobs. The equity gap was going down. And then for a variety of reasons, from 1978 to the present, it reversed. Not so much just because technology went wild, which it did, but because education didn't keep up. It stayed stuck. And mm -hmm. so they got this really big imbalance. And I'm quite aware of that study. And now I'm aware that this is a new race between technology and, uh, and learning or education. Uh, and I see just in the last two or three years now, 
I used to think, you know, you saw me talk about uh, education is not, or technology is not a driver, it's at best an accelerator. Right. Now I'm going to say that education, partly because it hasn't developed as much, we can talk about that, but technology through artificial intelligence, other things has developed. It's powerful and it's dangerous, but it's also can be hugely leveraged. And so now we are uh, thinking that uh, in the in the latest book, uh, the new one I'm doing, uh, the, I call it teaming with technology. So think of the word team. So now we have education back in the driver's seat in mm -hmm. Ottawa Catholic uh, and have not, not shying away from and wary of, of, of technology, but saying we have to make this our proactive friend. How do we do that? And that's right. what, if you don't have your act together, what I call teaming with a focus, right. you, will, you will be overrun by technology. You won't know what to do. But if you do have your act together, you can run really farther than we've ever done before. Uh, well said. And, you know, we're currently finishing off a reno in our home. And I, having taken, you know, comp tech courses back in the day in the TDSB, I'm doing some of my own work. So I have a toolbox. It's about using the right tool at the right time. Mm -hmm. It's not about technology all the time. And that's something that I try to emphasize. And I don't think we've really uh, optimized the, the power and potential, particularly around, you know, AI and assessments and streamlining the process to give teachers back time. Yeah. I, and I, I think it's, uh, it's, you know, with this, I want to go again. It requires... Right educators to be good enough to be the proactive partner in that relationship and there's worry about that because ai has developed uh, on its own even though people are behind it right it's, not a, it's almost alive in its own right and i follow uh, uh meredith bruce broussard her name is and she wrote uh, a book two years ago called artificial unintelligence which oh, interesting. She, she's an insider she's a she's an analyst a computer okay. an analyst and now she has a new book. I'm dying to get my hands on it. Be out in uh, February, uh, called "More Than a Glitch." And I read this as an insider. So she's saying, "Here's technology getting phenomenally powerful, but when it's when it can do when it does go goes wrong, it's not because somebody's deliberately making it do wrong. It's just they're so powerful it can go wrong if we're not trying to shape it. And that's what I mean by the teaming. We've got to shape it and think of it as a friend." In, in reference to the spirit work, and then it's right. going to be unstoppable. I, I like that philosophy as, as becoming a friend of the process and not being the central focus and right. yep. transparency. So I've long said it takes a digital village to raise a child in the 21st century, as you illustrate in uh, community, collaboration, well-being, to name a few key elements. What's holding systems back? What role, what's the role of faculties of education along this journey and paradigm that you talk about? Because you, you were there, you know mm -hmm. what the complexities are. They don't all collaborate. They don't all behave in the same manner. Uh, that's all over the map. And we're, you know, if we use Canada as an example, education as a provincial jurisdiction. Do we need to do, should we be collaborating more? Do we need a national focus? Uh, I know there's a lot to unpack there. 
Yeah, I think we have to uh, start with the question of uh, what has the pandemic done to us in that relationship? Has it made it more possible to do greater things or is it going to put us on the defensive? And we'd need like three programs to get into that. But I want to be succinct in saying it can go either way. There's no way other way of putting it. And what the um, well, we, the problem was already there, but what the pandemic did is it exposed even greater the flaws of the current education system. And it also uh, showed some of the possibilities that were, were there. But because it's overwhelmed us, because people are literally burnt out now and struggling with against enormous odds, is this temporary? And how do you get out of the temporary if it's that desperate? A lot of people are leaving the profession. We wrote a an op-ed called Who's Abandoning Whom? But I also wrote another op-ed on six reasons to be optimistic uh, about learning in 2022 and onward. And one of those right. reasons was uh, 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 finding uh, better allies. And in it, uh, uh, I argued that students and teachers are each other's best allies. And then it's parents. And then it's school principals. My new book on the school principals shows this. And therefore, the way out of this is to, and I just say it succinctly, build the base. Some people mm -hmm. call it the bottom. Mobilize the middle, the Ottawa Catholics. And I, the only word I can think of for the top is intrigue the top. The top can no longer manage these systems as we did when I was with McGinty. It was manageable. We had continuity of leadership. Now, we don't have continuity of leadership at the top nor is it manageable. It's too complex. You can't manage it this complex because it's got to be specific and coherent. It's got to appeal to the hearts and minds of people in the, uh, in this, in the system. So it's got to be accessible and you can't make it accessible downward. You have to make it accessible upward. And that's what's Ottawa has done so far up to the middle. And that's what our work is right now for the future is to uh, do this. I think, uh, I think we're really reeling now. But I hope within the next six months, there'll be a shaking off of that uh, is a danger. We could go back to this simple agenda and use technology and, and privatize education, a danger, but it will not produce the kind of humans we need to survive. Climate change, social distrust, our, our, uh, our humanity, our, our being will be decimated in the next 10 years. Uh, if this is if education is not turned into a route for fulfillment of individuals mm -hmm. and groups and the global entity, I can see it. I can taste it. It's going to be a tough battle. But I think there are a lot of people are up for it, especially the young. Anybody from three years of age and upward, I, as far as I'm concerned. Well, so insightful and inspiring, uh, Dr. Fullen. You clearly embrace the, the growth mindset and uh, and hope for the future. Is the growth mindset a skill that should uh, be taught in education? Is it a skill and should it be taught? Um, I, not per se. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm, I, the, the growth mindset and uh, SEL, all those things, they're part of it, but they're not the main point. You can't take a, a tool, one tool and say, okay, we're going to change the system. It is a mindset, but the mindset basically is uh, what is learning? Our new, our new approach to learning is it's about improving humanity and the human condition. It's about learning the competencies. These competencies are tantamount to a growth mindset. 
they're tantamount to uh, solving difficult problems and creating innovation. So uh, you can mainline what has to be done. If you start picking out ab ad hoc uh, elements and say, oh, we better do the growth mindset, uh, then uh, it, it just it's just too piecemeal. It's not. It's just going to be uh, uh, clumpy steps to the future that will never break through into the system. So I want to tackle the system directly. Lots of people do want to do that. I'm talking about teachers, students, parents, communities, and even some administrators. So I think we have a chance if we can get the focus because people uh, people want it. They just need to be part of a, of a group that's mobilizing to make it happen. You talk about emotion and you're so passionate about this. That That's what evokes change. You have to appeal to people's emotions. We're not excellent at doing that, generally speaking, in education. We kind of treat the kids the same. You know, uh, you refer to the egg carton uh, classroom in the book. Yeah. It was the teacher at the front of the class. We, we need to get away from that. I mean, our our classroom of the future here, our work and learning space here at the Mindshare Workspace mimics the future classroom. It's about different spaces, agility, and uh, not a fixed mindset. Yeah, I think it's, um, if you look at motivation for change, which is something that I work a lot on, and we certainly have uh, arrived at the point that the people with the problem have to be part of developing the solution. We call it joint determination. And so there's, uh, there's those issues. But you can't go into education right now, just look at Ontario, and not find emotion. You better be good at contending with emotion and turning it to our advantage. So this is, I, I, I'm in my book, I have a great quote from one of the schools in England that turned around. And I wanted to probe what they did with the community because it was a very difficult community. It had been uh, in the low ranks for a dozen years. They turned it around with two years. And uh, when I interviewed the, uh, the people leading it, one of them said, leaders make a mistake when they go into these communities, this highly high poverty community, and they try to be aspirational rather than relational. That's a phenomenal insight from a practitioner. Amazing. That is so, that, that jumps out at you. I hope it jumps out at, uh, it does me. Like a, yeah. What it basically says is relational is the emotional part of getting started. And aspirational is what you do with that energy that comes from that, that emotional clink, so, or link. So we've got to realize, and uh, I'm, I'm an academic, so I've had, I've had to work hard at getting the emotional side of me uh, instead of just the rational side. Right. But there's no doubt, everybody knows this now, real change is about emotion. Negative change is about emotion. Positive change is about emotion. But you better have something to do that works, that has an impact, which further motivates the emotion of people to want to do more. So it's touch and go, precarious. We better have the right approach for the next 12 months or we'll lose everything. Well, I'm excited to see this uh, focus of spirit work perhaps have an impact on Ontario, as an example, its education system. Um, and and see where that might go, uh, given the, as you alluded to, um, mass emotion right now happening and channeling that to look at it from a win-win a partnership perspective. I think uh, that is the challenge. And uh, I, I would have to say that this government 
hasn't shown much interest in what I'll call social policy, the policies and the actions that we talk about. Uh, so that it, they, you know, you can do good things. <clears throat> so it's not like good things are being prevented. But this strike we have now potentially on uh, and the concerns about it, they're about having, and of course, union members want to expand union members. We know that. But the agenda is to mobilize now the students, the teachers, the community, the government, the focus on early learning to build uh, uh, the learning that students can't get enough of. They want to do more and more learning. And that's, uh, that's what I think the real fight is about. It's not about having more money or more union members. It's about changing the nature of learning in schools on a large scale basis. Yes, Ottawa did it with 83 schools, but we've got 4,900 schools. How do we do it with 72 districts? How do we move and multiply? And I wish the government would recognize that they could be a partner in co-leading this. With that, Dr. Fullan, thank you so much for your insight and inspiration and the challenge that you've just issued out there. Uh, some amazing potential for us in the future. You give us hope and uh, looking forward to your next book uh, that will be coming later this year. And what, what is that one called that focuses on? It's called The Principle 2.0 because it was a second edition, but it turned out to be a new book. So Principle 2.0. Outstanding. In the meantime, do uh, check out Dr. Fullan's uh, website uh, and uh, michaelfullan.ca to uh, acquire your uh, his latest book, Spirit Work, and others that he's... Uh, uh, produced over the years, and uh, this includes this uh, edition of Mindshare TV. And until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and keep the learning curve steep. Thank you, Robert.